All right, Rabotai, welcome to another edition of our Thursday night class. And we're learning Parashat Tetzaveh. Uh, again, I don't choose the uh, Parashiyot. They're already predetermined by a high authority. <clears throat> Most of the time, we don't talk about Parashat Tetzaveh for good reason, because it's hard Parashat to talk about. It's very easy to divert to the closest airport, which is usually Parashat Shekalim or Zachor, or we can always go to Purim. However, again, as I said last week, the closest airport is uh, Parashat Tetzaveh today. We have to make a landing in a very, very complicated place. The challenge is on both of us. The challenge is on the Rav to make it somewhat interesting, and it's a challenge on the listener not to lose concentration on some tedious and technical stuff. Last week, Baruch Hashem, we did the Aron. We exhausted it, you know, to a certain degree. Uh, this week, I must say that I was taken uh, aback. I couldn't get out of the first three Pesukim of the Parasha. My first problem was that in the beginning of the Parasha, it's talking about taking olive oil for the menorah. Ma'or is for the illumination. for the for the menorah. And the Torah comes along and says, you know, exactly where to light it. Fine. Only problem was uh, just a small question. We talked about the menorah last week. Wouldn't you think that uh, uh, as an addendum, after you mention the menorah, you put the next parasha, and by the way, the way this menorah functions is, is you take some pure olive oil and you light it. Why does the Torah uh, start off parashat tetzaveh with talking about something that should have been a postscript of something from, from last week's parasha? Very, very simple. And then, by the way, we move on to Bigdei Aharon. And then we move on to the main subject of the Pirashah, the Begadim of the Kohen. So this sounds like it was like a PS. Oh, by the way, we forgot to mention over there, so we're just going to throw it in the first three Pesukim in this week's Pirashah. You know, nobody will catch it, but I caught it. So the question is, why is it here? So I saw some of the Mifarshim say that when does the Mishkan become functional? It's like a house. So when does a house become functional? Not when you build it. Because if you can build the most, you know, a, a, a beautiful home with all the amenities and all the luxuries, but until you get electricity, until you can turn the lights on, it's inhabitable. You can't live in it. You know, you can't, uh, you can't live in the dark. So therefore the Mefarshim say that this is the final piece of the Mishkan. The final piece is Light the menorah. Once you got the, you know, the electricity working and there's light in the place, now that's the final part of the construction of the Mishkan. So therefore, first you have to discuss everything. First you discuss the furnishings, and then you discuss the Mishkan itself, with the 48 Kedashim, and then all the, the coverings. And the last thing you do before you get the CFO, turn on the lights. And therefore the Torah begins in the Perashah, Shem and Zayit, light the menorah, and now it becomes inhabitable. I saw based on this from Mario Diskin that says something beautiful. We say uh, in the prayers uh, regarding the third Beit HaMikdash, we say, 
These are two different things over here. What does it mean, let's first talk about that. It seems that the third Beit HaMikdash, as the tradition goes, is a prefab. It's going to come down ready-made from heaven. So we're really not going to have to build it like we did the first two. So therefore, it says in the tefillah, just show it to us, because it's going to come down from heaven readily built. However, it seems from the tefillah, it seems that we're going to rejoice in certain tikkunim, in certain fixings that we're going to be able to do. That means something in the Beit HaMikdash, it sounds like it's going to be missing, maybe on purpose, and God is going to give us the uh, ability to rejoice in the tikkun. So says Mario Diskin, watch the tikkun. He says, and don't tell me that it's referring to that let's say one of the stones of the Mizbeah will be chipped and we'll have to come along and fix the stone because you're not allowed to use chipped stones in the first place and there's no way you can fix it. So which part of the Beit HaMikdash is going to be unfixed where we can come along and make the tikkun? He says that's the lighting of the menorah. The lighting of the menorah because God's going to bring the Beit HaMikdash down. But as we're learning tonight, until you turn on the lights, it's not fixed. And therefore, because when there's light, there's ha. As we know that the main reason why we light Nerot on Lel Shabbat is because you can see we're going to rejoice and have ha in the tikkun of what? Adding the final touch of the Beit HaMikdash, turning on the lights, the Menoranat. Some of you may ask, what do you mean? That sounds like all of us are able to light the Menorah and misunderstanding of many people that they think that only the Kohanim are alike to like the Menorah, and that's a mistake. Harambam writes clearly that Hadlakat HaMenorah is Keshira Afilu Bezar, that even a stranger, a non-Kohan, can like the Menorah. I saw this week, they bring a proof. Where did Rambam get this from? Where did Rambam get? Normally all the services in the Beit HaMikdash, you have to be qualified. You have to have your, uh, you know, your, your vaccine card. You have to be a Kohan. And over here, he's telling you that the hadakat can be done by a azar. So I saw interesting brought down. If you look, when are kohanim introduced? Kohanim are introduced. Our perasha is the end of perek Chavzayim. Kohanim are introduced in the beginning of perek Chavchet. Now go bring Aharon and put on the clothes, implying that what we said right before Perich namely the lighting of the menorah, you don't need Kohanim for that. Kohanim only introduced after the fact that you tell us how to light the menorah. Fine. So that's a nice remez for Shittat HaRambam. So therefore, Harenu Bebinyano is the prefab structure that's going to come down from heaven. Samehenu Betekuno is going to be the lighting that's going to take place, and that's going to be the final tikkun of the of the Beit HaMikdash, and now the building is functional. All right, now the questions that we have to ask over here, God's talking to Moshe. The Ramban uh, questions over here, the Ve'ata, you know, in all of the other furnishings of the Beit HaMikdash, 
When God speaks to Moshe, he says, Ve'asita, Ve'asita, and you shall make, and you shall make. Over here, it doesn't say Ve'asita when it comes to the uh, Shem and Zayit. But Olam talks to Moshe directly. Ve'ata. So the Rabban asks, why the change? Why all the other furnishings? Ve'asita Aron, or Ve'asu Aron. Ve'asita Shulchan. Ve'asita Medora. When it comes to the Shem and Zayit, Ve'ata. Is there a difference between Ve'asita and Ve'ata Tetzabeh? So I saw this in the Ramban. Sfodno says the same thing. So I read in the Sfodno to drop easier. Till now you're telling me that Moshe was able to uh, get the job done, but he himself doesn't have to be personally involved. means not that you should do it, that it should get done. So therefore Moshe Rabbeinu can delegate it and then uh, you know, get the report after that it was done. You don't have to make it yourself. Tell the umanim, tell the craftsmen, tell the artisans, and they'll do it themselves. However, when it comes to these, that we're going to read in Al-Pirasha, he gets the commandment, and he says, He himself has to be involved. He has to be involved. Uh, regarding this, he can't just tell, he can't delegate this one. He's got to go make sure it's done. Sfondo doesn't say why. <laughs> why Moshe specifically has to be involved in you know the nitty-gritty of Shemin Zayed Zach. You, know, you would you would have thought that that's a little beneath Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, pay grade that he's involved in Shemin Zayed Zach, but this one says no, Moshe Rabbeinu gotta get involved in that. Furthermore, if you look at the next words, it says, The Ramban, again, is concerned about this word, What is Elecha? I mean, the oil is not being taken for Moshe. No, it's being taken for for the menorah, for Christ, but it says that so I got the Vata. You got to do it yourself. Fine. Let them take for you It's not for Moshe. Moshe doesn't have a, have a vested interest in this Shem and Zayit. The Shem and Zayit belongs to the Sibur. It belongs to the, the Christ. What do you mean? That's Ramban's question. He says a Hiddush. He says, listen, this is special oil. It's not, you know, the regular, you know, Bertoli oil that you get in the market, or even the special oil you get from, uh, you know, the Hamish brands on Hanukkah, the Giffen, uh, Giffen uh, you know, fancy oil. We're talking over here, it has to be Zach. Now, Zach means, besides first press, Katit, first press, that's the first drop that comes out of the olive. There cannot be any dregs or sediment or cloud. It has to be pure, 100% unadulterated oil. No additives, no preservatives, no, uh, you know, nothing but oil. That's called Shemin Zayitzah. Now, who's the mashkiach? Who's the one that is the uh, uh, authority 
to give it a Hekshem. Who's going to decide? So says the Ramban, the first oil that was made had to pass the scrutiny and the uh, inspection of Moshe Rabbeinu. So therefore, let them bring the oil to you and you will decide, Moshe, if it is indeed Shemin Zayit Zach or not. Zardush. Which means don't put it in the menorah until Moshe signs off on it. Inspected by number seven. Moshe Rabbeinu has got to put the, t- the sticker on it. We call this quality control. Moshe Rabbeinu was in charge of the quality control of the Shemin Zayit. Based on this, I saw something beautiful. So that means you can't just put oil on the menorah. Somebody's got to check it. So who is in charge of checking it after Moshe? Oh, oh. So I'm going to bring a proof to you that it had to be the Kohanim and not any Kohen, the Kohen Gadol. That was his job. That was part of his, uh, you know, uh, description, the job description. How do we know? There's a big question that all the Rishonim ask in the Gemara that talks about the miracle of Hanukkah. Sorry to go back to Hanukkah for a second, but we are talking about the menorah, so it's not that far-fetched. And it says that they went into the Beit HaMikdash after the Yevani pillaged the place, and they go in and they find one Pak Shemen that's sealed with the Hotam of the Kohen Gadol. As the seal of the Kohen Gadol. And everybody asks, since when is the Kohen Gadol putting a seal on oil? I mean, that's, that's not a Kohen Gadol. We have no source in, in rabbinic literature that says Kohanim have a certain seal that they put on oil. So, but we take it for granted. That's how we learned the story. And there was a, a oil, and there was a seal of the Kohen Gadol. And you have to stop and ask yourself, hold it, why is there a seal of a Kohen Gadol on a bottle of oil? Uh, you know, you want to tell me, uh, that they found the eight begadim. Okay, that belongs to the Kohen Gadol. You want to f- say that they opened this locker and they found the red crimson string that they put on the Sa'id, uh, this head for Azazel. That's his job. But a seal for the, uh, for the Shem and Zayed? Pshar is that after Moshe Rabbeinu, he had to bring the oil to the Kohen Gadol. And he had to write off and say, Kasher, Shem and Zayed Zach. Lot make yourself halak, Bishul Yisrael, Yashan, whatever, Allah Yisrael. He had to write on it, Zach. So that was the seal of the Kohen Gadol that the Gemara was talking about. It's the same Elecha that's in this parasha that Moshe Rabbeinu was checking. It's the same Inyan that Aharon Kohen had to do, and the subsequent Kohanim as well. That's the Chotam of the Kohen Gadol. Fine, that's the Raman's way he's explaining Elecha. Now he asks, he says that if you look in the in the in the words, it says they will take oil, take the oil. Now hold it. The Ramban asks a very strong question. Before you take the oil, you have to make the oil. Now, nowhere in this story does it ever say they made the oil. Now, by all the other furnishings, it says. So shouldn't it say, Moshe, go make the oil, and after the oil is made, then you take the oil. So what is going on over here that the pasuk just jumps to the taking and neglects the making? That's Rabban's question. Now, hold on to your seats. 
he, he says a, a big hadush over here. A big hadush. Listen, I'm sorry. There might be more interesting things at the end of this parasha, but I, I told you I couldn't get out of the box here. So I got locked into this holding pattern, and that's it. Before I knew it, an hour of uh, material was created just from these type of questions, and, uh, and that's it. So, you know, if you came to hear about the turban of the Kohen Gadol, you know, you're going to have to wait till, uh, till the, next, the, the next leap year. Now, regarding this, he says, they could not have made olive oil in the Midbar, Ramban says, making Shem and Zach in the Midbar was a utter impossibility. Why? Because there's no olives in the Midbar. I don't know if ever you, anybody ever went to the Sahara Desert. Uh, there's nothing there. And there's no Wi-Fi and there's no olives. So therefore, you can't say, make it. You can't make it. Nothing to make. Oh, very good. So then if you can't make it, how can he take it? <laughs> that, that question is reversed. So the Ramban says, a big hadush. He says, when they came out of Mitzrayim, they anticipated that this Mishkan is coming. The proof is, didn't they take some wood with them? And that wood eventually was used to make the beams, the Kedashim. So just like they came out of Mitzrayim with some wood, they also came out with olive oil. And therefore, the Ramban says, Moshe doesn't have to say, make the oil. The oil was made already. Therefore, he just says, Viku, Viku Let them bring the oil that they have, inspect it, give your hotam on it, and put it in the menorah. Now, quick, quick math class for a second. I don't want to harbor on this here, but I know what's going to happen. Whenever you drop these bombs over there, you're too shocked to think it out. And then you go home and you say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did he say that they took oil with them out of Mitzrayim? And you're going to start to calculate and you're going to say, hold it. How much oil would they need in 40 years of lighting the menorah? Now, if you do the, the calculations that... Uh, Every night, they need about uh, three and a half log of, uh, of oil. And if a log, let's be uh, conservative, let's say uh, a log uh, is about 12 ounces. So you need three and a half log a night. So you're talking about 40 ounces of oil a night, every night for 40 years. I don't know, you're talking about how many tons of oil. So you're telling me, if you want to tell me they left Egypt, okay, they took you know, a, a, a container of oil. No, they had to bring, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil with them. That's, uh, yeah, that's 100%. That's more than the, the 50 pounds that they give. That even if you sit first class, you get an extra you know, 50 pounds. But you, how you gonna he doesn't deal with that. He just says that the Nisi'im brought the oil with them. So you're making the question even stronger. You double down on the question. So 
again, that's, I did hear a possible answer I'll share with you from Rabbi Isaac Bernstein, Alava uh, Shalom. He said that he found the Midrash, the Midrash Agadol, in the name of Hanina Segana Kohanim, who was a Kohen that worked at the times of the Second Temple. And he said that I was there and I saw it with my own eyes that they lit the menorah on Rosh Hashanah, let's say the first day of the year, and it stayed lit the whole year. So, and that's a miracle that took place in the second Beit HaMikdash. And he says, for sure, the people in the Midbar were on a higher level than the people of the second Beit HaMikdash. So therefore, we can say, possibly, that just like that miracle happened in the second Beit HaMikdash, could be they only had to light it once a year. All right, so now, you know, much less oil. Now it's really palatable that they can bring that amount of oil. You're not talking about hundreds of thousands of gallons anymore. You're talking about, you know, they had to light it 40 times. That's not bad. Although, I did see they, they bring a question on that midrash. I have to mention it to you. From one of the poskin asks a question, what are you talking about? You're telling me in the Midrash of Rav Harinat Kwanim that they lit the menorah once a year? The Torah clearly says, you have to light it. So what does that mean? You can't, you can't put an ever-ready battery, you know, one of these, uh, these light bulbs that last for, for, for a year. You got to change the bulbs every day. So how do you fulfill the mitzvah by lighting it once a year? Very nice, it lasts a year. Oh, very good. Blow it out, light it again. But it sounds like that that was like the miracle. They got the miracle oil working. Once you blow it out, you might lose the uh, the current. So I saw that they asked this question to Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, and of course, Rav Chaim is going to answer it in a classic form based on the Rambam. He found the Rambam in Hilchot Shabbat, chapter 12, Halacha Bet. That says, let's say you have a oil a candelabra lighting on Shabbat. Now, nobody, God forbid, is going to light something on Shabbat. You know, Havara is one of the 39 melachot. You can't light something on Shabbat. But Harambam writes that if you add oil to the cup, you transgress the Isud of Havara by adding oil. That's the melachot of Havara. Not only lighting, but even adding oil. So if Chaim Soloveitchik said, there's no problem with the Midrash. You're right. It lit from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah. But every day, they just added a drop of oil, medical oil over there. So therefore, that oil is considered Hav'arat the Shabbat. It's Hav'arat for the Menorah. So we can say the same thing in the Midbar. In the Midbar, they lit the Menorah based using the oil that was taken out from Mitzrayim with the Nisi'im, and there was miracle oil. It lasted the whole year. I have to light it every day. So every day they add a couple of drops of oil. Therefore, you, don't, you still get around the problem. They have to bring tons of oil. They were able to bring you know, a, a specific amount, and they still do not compromise the, the light. Okay, Rabotai. Again, we didn't start the class yet. I mean, let you know, this is all getting the, the, the technical stuff out of the way, clearing the road for the for the main event, which... With, with Hanukkah. 
So now I want to bring to you what the Mishik Chokmah said from your book that you got. Mishik Chokmah Rameis Hakohen from the city of Dvinsk. It's unbelievable. This, again, you don't have to take my advice. It's unsolicited. And I don't get any money by giving this advice. I don't sell books. Get the Mishik Chokmah. Do yourself a favor. Uh, it's an incredible perush on the Torah. Every piece over there, he opens it up. And Hedushim, if, you, if you're interested in Hedushim, if you just want to run in the mill stuff, the Mishnah Chumah book is not for you. If you don't like surprises, don't get the book. But if you like to be shocked out of your wits every time you see some stuff that he says, you can go out of your mind. Mishnah Chumah's father, Rabbi Kalevsky, wrote a notes on it, perush on it. That just makes the book even better. So he says the following. He learns the Yikru Elecha. Take the oil for yourself. Rabban said, take the oil for yourself because you've got to be the one that's going to check. Make sure that it's Zach. Meshachachma has a different Mahalach. He says, Elecha is like what we learned in Parashat Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha. When it says, God tells Abraham, Lech Lecha, she says, for your benefit. Lehana'atcha. Letobatcha. So Meshachachmah says, uh, take the oil, Elecha means Lecha, you have a vested interest in this oil, and therefore Moshe, you're going to benefit from this oil. Says the Meshachachmah, what's the benefit that Moshe Rabbeinu gets from the Shem and Zayin Zach that they used to light the menorah? What can be the benefit from Moshe Rabbeinu? So he finds an Ibn Ezra in Parashat an incredible Ibn Ezra. If you look in Parashat Be'alotecha, in the book of Bamidbar, there already the Torah introduces the lighting of the menorah. Do we have a, a Bamidbar? Anybody have a, a, a five pack? Uh, for five, for okay, you can get it, Robbie. Oh, we got one, Robbie. We got one, Robbie. Okay. So he, the, Ramba, the Ibn Ezra, says an unbelievable hadush. He says, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu only received prophecy during the day. God comes to Bil'am at night, like, you know, in the thief, and then under the cloak of darkness. But Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, beyond the, on the day that God speaks to Moshe. That's the tradition we have. Moshe is in the day. So he says, Ibn Ezra, it's a mistake to believe that he only received prophecy in the day. Abarbanel even makes the question stronger. What, only in the day? The greatest prophet in the world that you're telling me is on call and he only gets prophecy for half the day? I mean, half the day has no reception? Abarbanel can't accept that Moshe Rabbeinu whose frequency is connected to God, and then you're telling me that the lot, the half the day, he has no reception? It, it can't be, says Abel And Ibn Ezra agrees. So what does he say? Hold on to your seats. He says, as long as the menorah was lit, 
that's considered light, and Moshe Rabbeinu can receive prophecy during that time. That's the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra's redefining. It's not the Pshat that Moshe Rabbeinu can only receive prophecy during the day. He can only receive prophecy where there's light. And as long as the menorah is lit, he can receive prophecy, which now gives him uh, <laughs> most of the night to receive prophecy as well. That's Ibn Ezra. And then he proves it. Ibn Ezra too. He says, because... What's the pasuk right before the The pasuk right before this is the last pasuk in Parashat Nasor. And what's the last pasuk? And Moshe Rabbeinu hears the voice of God speaking to him. From the cherubs. When? That's Ibn Ezra. Unbelievable. And what's the pshat? The pshat is, is because a prophet, to receive prophecy, has to be in a, in a good mood. You have to have some ha. And where there's light, there's joy. Where there's darkness, there's depression. So therefore, if the lights are still on, whether it's the sunlight or it's the light of the menorah, Moshe Rabbeinu, his mind is clear, he can receive the prophecy. Says the Meshach that therefore in the times of Moshe, the lighting of the menorah was to his benefit. Therefore it says, you're going to have a direct benefit from the lighting of the menorah because of that lighting of the menorah, your prophecy time is going to double. Therefore, so he adds a beautiful shot. He says like this. Beautiful shot. He says, look at the Pasuk in our perasha. The Pasuk says, take olive oil. Katitla maor, be oil moed. Then the end of the Pasuk says, The lighting of the menorah is a hook. The hook means it's, a, it's an inexplicable law, the lighting of the menorah. After all, I mean, God is the light of the world. Does he need a light fixture in the Beit HaMikdash? But Olam can bring the light as he wishes. He, he created the sun. He's a candelabra. Ultimately, it's a hook. But when is it a hook, says the Mishra? In the future, it turns into a hook. As long as Moshe is alive, it's not a hook. It's a tenai, it's a condition in his nivuah. You need it for Moshe Rabbeinu to get nivuah. Once Moshe Rabbeinu passes, now why are you lighting it? It's not for Moshe's prophecy. If the whole premise of the menorah was what? Elecha, for you, Moshe, good. So when Moshe is alive, you understand why you're lighting the menorah. Give him more light hours. Give him more time to receive prophecy. But once Moshe is gone, what are you lighting the menorah for? Says the Meshach Chochmah. The future generations, this lighting turns into a hook. Beautiful. So now we're getting our, our feet wet in this, uh, in this subject. Okay, now, 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 I, now, now we're ready. 
Now we're ready. So, so far we have two interpretations of the word Elecha. Number one, Elecha, bring the Shemin Zayat to Moshe so he can inspect it to make sure that it is Zach. Second Pshat, based on the Ramban and the way the Meshach Chokmah explains it, Elecha, it is to you this oil because you stand to have a direct benefit from the Shemin Zayin because that's going to be used for the menorah and that's going to impact your prophecy in a positive way. Therefore, it's Elecha. Good. The third explanation is what we came to discuss tonight. But in order to develop it, we must note what the Baal Turim points out. The Rosh Ala Torah points it out as well. A lot of times when you learn, you don't only pay attention to what is said or what is written, but a lot of times you learn a lot and sometimes even more from what is omitted. From what is not written. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Jews, uh, yeshiva, we learn uh, a lot from the written word and we spend a lot of time in analyzing why wasn't this written and because it's missing, why is it missing? And you can spend just as much time on the omitted word than on the written word. It's an amazing thing in Torah. <laughs> and I'm sure you know it already that our perasha does not begin with Vaidaber Adonai El Moshe Lemor, which is the normal way of starting a perasha, the perasha begins Ve'ata. And you. Why does the perasha not uh, have uh, the normal opening? Well, if you even go further, there's 101 Pesukim in the perasha, and you won't find Moshe Rabbeinu's name written even once. It's the first perashah of its kind since Moshe Rabbeinu is born that his name is conspicuously missing. The Torah is making a point. We're not calling you by your name. Vata. Vata. No, no. This perashah, Moshe Rabbeinu, goes, uh, goes dark. It's missing. Why? So we know already because we're going to learn next week that after Heta Egel, Moshe Rabbeinu came and was defending B'nai Yisrael after God vowed that he wants to start over again, destroy everybody. Give me God's one second. Give me one second and we'll zap the whole congregation, lest you. And then we'll start again with you and your family. We'll start a new, uh, new nation from you, Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu said, listen, if you erase them, erase me with them. The classic words of Moshe, meheni na mesifrecha. If you erase them, erase me from the book. Meheni na mesifrecha. And of course, that's very strong words. So God says, all right, Moshe. I'm not erasing the people. Now, what should follow soon is, therefore, I'm not erasing you either. Now, you only want to be erased if I erase them. 
I don't erase them, you're not erased. But the Gemara says that the words of a tzaddik are very strong and they leave a, an impression, even though it was said with a stipulation and a condition. So those words, mehenina misifrecha, had to, had to come true to a certain degree. Maybe not to erase them from the entire book, but the word of the tzaddik has to land somewhere, especially the word of Moshe. The word of the tzaddik is like a, it's like a knife, it cuts. You know, once, once the knife cuts, you can't uncut it. So therefore, he needed to be deleted from at least one sefer, one perashah. To fulfill so therefore came Parashat for whatever reason. I don't know why Parashat That's where they decided to uh, to uh, uh, to you to punish him. They had to levy a punishment on Moshe for saying those words. I don't know if it's a punishment. They the reality of Moshe Rabbeinu has to manifest itself somewhere. So they said, you know what, Parashat not mention nobody understands that parasha anyway, so they won't even realize. Why did they pick this parasha? That's the question I'm asking. I understand you want to delete him. Is there a reason that Tetzaveh becomes the parasha where Moshe Rabbeinu's name is deleted? So I saw Navhida. I must quote Navhida. He says, Yeah, absolutely. Tetzaveh has to be the parasha. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu actually asked to be deleted from Parashat Tzaveh. Oh, I didn't see that in the text, but okay, just Aida. He says because he says Mehani na misifrecha. Masi misifrecha. I should say Mehani na masifer. We know what sefer you're talking about. Misifrecha means misifer chaf from the twentieth parasha. And if you count the twentieth parasha from Bereshit, bingo. Parashat Tetzaveh. So therefore, you asked for it. You said, Masif Negah, Masif You get what you asked for. The Balaturim and others, no, you say, no, there's another reason. There's another reason, and it has to do with the Jewish calendar. Now, I don't know if you paid attention this week, because this day, comes and goes, and most people don't even know it came, and don't even know it went. And and even if they know about the day, they don't know what to do about this day. They just what do you do? And that's Zayin Adar. If you happen to know that Zayin Adar landed this week, because it passed us already, Zayin Adar Rishon, most people are not even aware of that. And if you happen to tell somebody, oh, today's Zayin Adar, Oh, wait, wait, say not that. I know something happened on that day. That's uh, Washington's birthday. No, not Washington's birthday. That's, that's president's. That's coming up. Moshe Rabbeinu. Most people don't know what to do even. Do we have Tahanunim? Is there no Tahanunim? Is there a reading of some sort? And then what do you usually tell them? You do nothing. You happen to know. Should we tell everybody? There's nothing to do on the day. The day is... It comes and goes, which is kind of strange. The day that the greatest leader of all time was born and died, and it just comes and goes without really any recognition. I'm going to venture to say most people don't even light a candle. 
I would say most people light a candle for Rabbi Nachman from Breslov than they light for Moshe Rabbeinu. No, no disrespect to the Tzadikim. But that's the facts. The Baal Shem Tov. Why the Kiel? Baal Shem Tov. Moshe Rabbeinu. When, 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 when? Oh, you missed it. It was, it was Tuesday. Oh, sorry, I missed it. Okay, wait. Next year. You'll miss it again next year also. Parashat Tetzaveh will always come during the week of Zayin Adar, according to the calendar. So therefore, it's the appropriate week that his name should go missing because that's the yard site. So you, you get a subtle reminder. Say, hey, where's Moshe? Ah, now you remember Moshe? He goes missing. He's not here. But I saw from the Oznaim Latorah of Sorotskin that he says it beautiful. Why he's missing? We always looked at it. He's missing on the week of his yard site because he said, erase me. He said, you're right. He's got to get, you know, those words got to land somewhere. But if it landed on the yard site, it's coming to give you the praise of Moshe. And you know what the praise is? Take the other religion. You'll figure it out which religion we're talking about. The whole religion is based on the guy. All their holidays have to do with the guy. His birthday. That's, that's, that's the number one holiday. And then I guess it's the, the bris, whatever. That's the holiday. And then you got when he was tormented. That's the holiday to have in the next Pesach time. The whole holiday is built around the person, the leader. And atonement can only be brought if you accept upon yourself the leader to give all the Adonot. And if you accept upon yourself the guy, you get all the Mabah. Everything is the guy. It's almost as if the guy is more important than God. In our religion, they go out of their way to say, it's not about Moshe. It's not about, it's about God. And therefore, we don't make a fuss about his birthday. We don't have Zayin Adar like God forbid December 20. We don't have that. We don't have that. Zayin Adar comes and goes by design. Because we don't want to make this religion about a person. And therefore, it's a happy birthday, Moshe. Very nice. What do you want to do? I make, make a birthday party. He died. Okay. So the Chabrak and Shah will get together. But besides those guys, everybody else goes on their merry way. For good reason. And Moshe would want it that way. So therefore, it's a, it's a silver lining. Although he goes missing in the parasha, it's the parasha of his yard site, the credit of Moshe. He didn't stand center stage and try to steal the whole show like others did. He said, the religion is not about me. I'm in the same boat as everybody else. I serve the same God that everybody else does. I don't have any status. I'm a prophet of God, but don't serve me. Don't, don't, don't talk about me. Don't make a big deal about me. That's that's beautiful explanation that although he's missing, it's the Sheba. Good. The silver lining and the punishment or the, the reality of Moshe Rabbeinu's name is good. But we cannot deny the fact his name is missing. So I'll tell you how we do this over here. Do you have to be like a forensic uh, you know, investigator to try to put a puzzle together to try to understand something maybe that's beneath the surface. So I'll tell you how it starts. We have Moshe Rabbeinu. His name is not mentioned. 
in Parashat Tetzaveh, and we see the mentioning in the beginning of the Parashat, Shemen Zayin Zach, the mentioning of Moshe, you're in charge of the olive oil. Elecha. So if you want to make, you know, Hedushim, you would say to yourself, wait, is there any other time in the Torah before this episode that the Torah mentions Shemin Zayit? Shemin Zayit explicitly, you're not going to see. But you will see where the Torah talks about Zayit. Very good. But it's going to take you back to Parashat Noah. It's the closest you're going to get to Shem and Zayed. When Noah was on the Teva, and he wanted to see if the waters receded, so he sent out the raven. And the raven just, you know, they never came back. It escaped. Can't blame it. Once you get out of it, it ran away. It wasn't come back to the Teva. But then the dove, Hazagabarotah, when the dove came back, it produced to Noah Ale Zayit. And when he saw the Ale Zayit, he said, There you go. That means we can disembark, we can get off the ship. And therefore, he knew that the waters receded and it's time to get off. Now, it's not Shem and Zayit, to be honest with you. It's an Ale Zayit. Okay, listen, for us, we're going to say close enough. It's a good hint. Yeah. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, do me a favor. What are you talking about? Don't go there. You can't make up stuff. You're not authorized, Rabbi, with all due respect, to start making Gizirot Shavot because you see the word Shem and Zayat. Unless you can find the Hazal that does it, then, uh, then you have a license. But you're not going to take your word because you're looking to make, you know, Shak and Dushim. And then we go, oh, he went to Parajat. No, I've got brilliant ideas. You're right. I agree with you. I don't have the license to do that. However, you will agree that the Midrash Tan has the license. And in the Midrash Tan made a copy of it. I was traveling, so I was away from my, uh, my printer. But I did copy it, and I'm going to read it. It's the, um, yeah, the Midrash Tanhumat, this week's Perasha, Siman He, right in the beginning. Midrash says, Kishahaya Noah Bateva. Here we go. So the Midrash Tanhumah right away, when it's so parashat tetzaveh, it's okay, we got to go back to Noah. It, it, it made that connection right away. And it even goes further when it says, what does it say? Vayishlachat ha'orev. It said, the, the raven. Vayitzei yatzon. It just uh, made hakafot. Ve'arkach shalachta yonah. Then he sent the yonah, the dove. Vatavo elav ha'yonah. And the yonah came back with the olive branch. Ha'lezayt. Amar ha'kadosh baruchu. Just like the Yonah brought light to the world because he gave us good news that the world is, you know, take two and get off the boat. The Jewish people are compared to a Yonah as well. Like it says in Shirashim, Yonati. 
הביאו שמן זית והדליקו לפניי את הנר, שנאמר ואתה תצווה ויקרו אליך שמן. כבוד איפה? זה מדרש תנחומס, אז יאללה, איזה קנקשן? Just like the brought an alizayat to Noah, and therefore brought light to the world, meaning he brought good news, we're also a Yonah. What do you think, the Yonah on the table is the only Yonah in the world? We're also a Yonah. And therefore, <coughs> learn from the Yonah. Therefore, what? We're going to take Shem and Zayat, and we're going to light the menorah, and we're going to bring light to the world. Okay, so now, we start to see that the Midrash gave us a big hint over here. Whenever you see these midrashim, you have to know what they're doing. They're giving you a cue. They're saying, you want to understand Parashat Tetzaveh? The secret of the DNA of Parashat Tetzaveh is not Tetzaveh. They gave you a very big hint and said, go back to Parashat Noah and rip it apart and you'll see in the guts of Parashat Noah. It's not to understand this. Now, it would be uh, fascinating if we can find some connection between Moshe Rabbeinu and Noah. Well, I found it. They both lived in a teva. I mean, I don't think of it, but it's true. Noah lived on the Teva, and Moshe had been right when he was born. Bingo. Put him in the Teva. You don't find too many people besides those two, and the families, of course, of Noah, that lived in the Teva. So there must be uh, some, uh, some connection. But you don't need that Teva, Teva item. You just open up the Arizal. Because the Arizal has a book that tells you the who's who. Who's who means who was who. We know that Nishamot are in the recycling program and they come back. So even though you see uh, somebody today, the Arisa can tell you, you are Abraham today, but in the previous life, you were Yitzhak, and before Yitzhak, you were Yaakov, and I give you the whole, you know, history. We call that the Gilgulim or the Ibn Neshama. And it's important when it comes to these great personalities to know where they came from and what they're representing. Because then you could understand a lot of things that they did in their life. A lot of things had to do with old business that they needed to rectify. But if you don't know who they were, then you don't understand what they were coming to rectify. So the Aliza with his supersonic uh, vision, x-ray vision of Kedusha, he looked at a guy and he said, oh, story. And he says, without a shadow of a doubt, that Moshe and Noah shared uh, souls. That Noah actually came back a part of him and uh, went into Moshe. He actually says, and this is not for tonight's class, although we have what to say on it. There was another fellow, we don't talk about too much because they don't, they don't know too much about him. One of the sons of Adam, you know Cain in heaven, but he had a third son. Shit. The Arizal writes that the Neshama of Shit also went into Moshe. Again, for another time. 
So actually, Moshe is made up, if you want to know his uh, resume of soul, it's him, of course, he represents himself, and he has also Noah and Shet. Says the Arizal, side point, if you look at the last word of last week's perasha, which was Tirumah, the last word of last week's perasha is Nehoshet. And the first word of this week's perasha is Ve'ata. The Torah is giving you the Gilgulim of Moshe. Nehoshet. Noah, Shet, Ve'ata. That's the three. That's the three. Call that a triple header in baseball. <laughs> triple play, actually. Noah, Shet, Ve'ata. So now you're starting to see already. The Midrash started, Homa brought you to Noah. That is how it tells you, hey, right here, we're going to mention the Gilgul in Parashat Tetzaveh itself. Then he goes on to explain. What's the connection between the two? And he says the following. Neglecting these guys on the Zoom. Okay. How you doing, fellas? So now, he says like this, Noah was great. We didn't come over here to roast Noah. Noah, you know, we don't we don't hold the candle to Noah. He was a prophet, he got saved. Noah, all good stuff about Noah. However, that being said, no disrespect, but a little disrespect. But what the Hakamim tell us, after the flood's over, when the Navi Yishaya is giving his report, about the great flood. I know this because this was my bar mitzvah haftarah. It's, it's also haftarah parashat Noah. He says there, ki me Noah azotli. The prophet says, oh, the flood? I'm giving the flood a name. You know, you know how hurricanes have names? Now you have to assume that if they name a hurricane after you, it's not the most flattering thing. If your name was Sandy at the time of Hurricane Sandy, you wanted to change your name. Hurricane Sandy. A lot, a lot of mothers-in-law were the butts of jokes, you know, when all these names were made for these hurricanes. So basically, Yeshaya comes along and says, Hurricane Noah. Now, they weren't up to end, but they named it Hurricane Noah. And the Zora Kadosh says, Men Noah. You know why they named it after him? Because it was his fault. Oh, that's a, that's a federal charge. I mean, it's his fault. I thought it said the bazooki, Mala'aris Hamas. They were involved in all sorts of, you know, crazy stuff. You know, uh, uh, the world became de degenerate. And then you, you pin it on Noah. Noah was the good guy. How can he call it his fault? And the Zohar Kador says, because Noah did little to pray and to go out and influence the generation. Noah was a tzaddik, without a doubt, but it says, it Noah. Noah walked with God, he didn't walk with the people. And he should have went out and, you know, aroused them and spoke with them and bring them back to the Shuvah. Listen, every rabbi's got Talmidim, every rabbi's got students. Noah, why wanted you? In yeshiva, the way they say it, Noah was a tzaddik in a fur coat. <laughs> what do they mean when they say that? That when it's, right, a tzaddik in pelts. What they mean to say is that it, when it's cold. So there's two ways of solving a room that's cold. 
So one guy comes along and says, it's freezing, and he puts on a fur coat, but he only warms himself, and everybody else is freezing. The other Sadiq makes a fire. The whole place enjoys. Noah was a Sadiq, put a fur coat on, saved himself and his family. So the Zorak Kadosh says, after he got off the Teva, he makes a Korban and prays to God. God says, now you're bringing a Korban, you should have done that before. How come you weren't proactive before the flood? You woke up after the flood? That's the claim against Noah. God, when he comes to roast Noah, but that's the claim the Zorak Kadosh has, man Noah. That means, you ever hear in, in, uh, in uh, there's a rule when it comes to uh, captains that the captain must go down with the ship. Remember there was a story once a couple of years ago where the, the, the boat was capsizing off of Greece and they're looking for the captain. Where's the guy? They found him in a bar. Everyone's drowning. Guys drink a beer in the bar. Say, yeah, yeah, you're the captain. And listen to what I do. What did you do? You drink beer. That's going to solve the problem. You got, you got to be with the people. He ran. He ran for his life. That's like the number one crime in the, you know, in, 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 in the naval world. Noah, he didn't go down with the ship. He took the ship. He went with the ship. Where's everybody else drowned? The Zohar Kedosh says, what are you doing? When God told him, I'm destroying the world, you know what Noah should have said, maybe? You destroy them, destroy me. Oh, how are you talking? And then maybe God would have said, listen, I can't destroy Noah. He's a Sadiq. All right, we'll figure it out. But Noah said, I'm good. How many pastors do I have? You, your wife, your daughters. Good, very good. I just need a couple extra rules for that. You're fine. Boom, he's good. No, no negotiations. That's the claim. Says Dariza. That needed to be fixed. That needs a fix. That's, that needs a rectification of the highest order. And here we have what's called deja vu. Many years later comes a tzaddik that's called Moshe. And all of a sudden, Egel comes. And you know what God says? Just like he told Noah, basar. I'm getting rid of everybody. I'm going to destroy them. Now here's the moment that Noah's in heaven and Noah's saying, Moshe, fix me. This is your moment. I blew it when I got that ultimatum from God. I told God, good, as long as I'm saved, I'm fine. Now all of a sudden, the neshama of Noah comes into Moshe. And what does Moshe Rabbeinu tell God? When God says, I'm destroying the whole world. And don't worry, you'll get saved. You'll get saved. Moshe Rabbeinu says, if you destroy them, destroy me. At that moment, Moshe Rabbeinu makes the fix on Menoah. Rav Hidat says, if you even look at the words that he used, Mehenina, erase me. Mehenina is the exact words as Menoah. Or as he says, Minoah Ani. Mehenina, Minoah Ani. He says, this is a big moment. If Moshe Rabbeinu would have said, uh, listen, I'm good. You start a new nation for me? Yeah, okay, fine. Listen, kaparan. Then, then Moshe would have had to be fixed. Noah would have been... T- 
But Moshe Rabbeinu at that moment made the ultimate. And what was he, what was he teaching us, Moshe? The people. The leader has to go out and defend the people. Not to come along and defend themselves. Now watch. There's an unbelievable, unbelievable pasuk. God says to Moshe, go in the teva. Go in the teva. Even though God was angry at Noah. I, how do I know he was angry at Noah? You think the teva was a reward or a punishment? He's living in a jungle. Every animal. Could you imagine the stench on this, this, uh, this teva? And by the way, the zookeeper, feeding the animals all the... If God wanted to save Noah in a luxurious way, he sent him on a paid expense trip to, to Israel. There was no flood there. Let him live in Jerusalem for a year and come back. No, no, no. Boy, la teva. The Baba of the Rebbe said, you know why, boy, la teva? Ki tzadik lefanai. Because I see that you're a tzadik, but you know what type of tzadik you are? Lefanai. Badur Hazer, in this generation, you decided to be a tzaddik lefanai. You should have been a tzaddik to the people. Go into the teba. I'm going to save you, but it's not going to be luxurious. Yeah, we don't need the bazook, the Baba Rabbi. Boy, la teba. Punishment. You know why? I see that you're a tzaddik. What type of tzaddik? Tzaddik between God. All, all God stuff. Holy Rabbi, holy tzaddik. But God says, Bador Hazeh, this generation that needed you to defend them. Says the Mepharshim, something unbelievable. God said to Noah, something deeper. All right, Noah. You might have missed the opportunity, but don't worry. Sometimes a tzaddik gets saved for himself, and sometimes he gets saved for the one that's going to fix him. It's like a credit. You can either get saved on your own merit or on the merit of the, of the fixer. Who is the fixer of Noah? Moshe. How many generations is Noah to Moshe? It's easy math, by the way. I did it before I came. From Noah to Abraham is 10. That's easy. Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Yaakov has a son Levi, Levi has a son Kehat, Kehat has a son Amram, Amram has a son Moshe. So Moshe is G17 from Noah. Says the Mephashim gorgeous. Boy la teva! You know why? Because you, I see, Sadiq Lefanai. There's a Sadiq ahead of him. There's a Sadiq in the future, Sadiq Lefanai. In what generation? Badod Hazer. Hazer. He Zayin. He equals 17. There's a Sadiq Lefanai, Badod Hazer. In G17, somebody's going to come and fix it. So you know what? You go on the Teva today. We'll let Moshe Rabbein clean up the mess of Menawah. Therefore, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, Behenina, oh, and the fix is in. Oh, you ever hear of a, uh, there's a, 
There's a Gemara that says, Horayot. Gemara says, there's certain things that cause you to forget your learning, and there's certain things that cause you to remember your learning. Very good. There's a whole list of stuff, but obviously we want to talk about olives tonight. That's the, that's the main uh, appetizer of the evening, the olives. The Gemara says, olives cause you to forget. But Shemin Zayat, olive oil, is actually good for the memory. The Gemara says, uh, equip so you can remember this. In this case, the child is better than the father. The father is the olive. What's the child that comes out of the olive? The oil. In this case, Now, what's the pshat? So I saw the Mepharshim say something unbelievable. And I heard this from my rabbi also, he said, a purpose of a, we came into this world is to learn Torah. No question about it. But it's not enough to learn for yourself. Chaim Baruch would always tell us, if you learned a lot of Torah, very good, good for you. Pat yourself on the back. Don't pat yourself on the back. That's what you created for. He would say, you, know, you call the plumber, and the plumber comes and fixes the pipe. And then the plumber says, look, yeah, I fixed the pipe. But you're a plumber. What would you expect to do? You're not an air traffic control. You fix the pipe. Should we, should we make a testimonial interview? Could you fix the pipe? That's what you're here. But then he explained the Mishnah differently. He said, It's very good. You filled your brain with Torah. Share the wealth. Don't hold it for yourself. If you have Kedushim and stuff, give it out. That's why you were created to share and influence others. What does Hashem want? Just everybody to fill their own brains up? And what? And you have a lot of empty brains? Fill them up. Adam le'amal yulad. A person who's created to toil, he would say le'amal is nashetevot lilmod al menat lelamed. To learn in order to teach. What's the benefit? The guy who learns from him, for himself, you know who he's like? Noah. Learn. Moshe is the opposite. Moshe Rabbeinu is the one for the people, not for me. And therefore, if we had to compare, Noah is compared to what? The Zayat. You know why? The Zayat has all the olive oil inside of it. All keeps the oil to himself. And Moshe Rabbeinu would be compared to what? Shemin Zayat. Moshe Rabbeinu takes the, the oil, give it out to the people. Now, it's a beautiful explanation. My Friedman said this. That. But Noah's about to get off the Teva. So the Yonah comes. And the Yonah brings back to Noah a certain item. What does he bring back to him? Alezayit. Says the Rav, you know what that Alezayit was? A rebuke to Noah. Noah, you see the destruction this, this happened over here? So you were like a Zayit. Kept it to yourself. That was, 
That was a musar to Noah on the way out. Don't rejoice, coming back. This, this, this shouldn't have happened. And therefore, the Yonah came along and enlightened Noah and said, So what does the Midrash say in Tanhumah? After Moshe Rabbeinu comes and fixes it. And therefore, the Midrash says, God doesn't want you to be a Zayat. Therefore, to make the tikkun of the Zayat, God says, take Shemen Zayat. Noah was like the Zayat that holds the olive oil within. And therefore, the Midrash says, you need to fix that. And the Torah says, you fix that al And who's the one that made that fix? Moshe. And therefore, You're the one that fixed Noah, Moshe. Noah behaved like a Zayat, and you taught the people Interestingly enough, that if you take the word Shemen, it's also the Shetevot. Shet Moshe Noah. Because Moshe is the tikkun of the tzaddikim. That's the shaman And therefore, this is your item, Moshe, because you're the one that showed them, and the menorah represents Torah. And therefore, that's your item. You earned this item, Moshe. This is your teaching. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu's name is missing in this perasha because that's the praise of Moshe. The sacrifice. He said, erase me from the book. What better perasha when we want to talk about a leader that's worried about the people that his name should go missing is not Hasbush Shalom, a negative. You know why he's missing? Noah's name should have been missing, but it wasn't. Noah's name's written everywhere. But Moshe Rabbeinu, he was willing to give up everything for the people. And in that perasha that we learned about lighting the menorah, which is Shem and Zayat, Specifically in that parasha, no mention of his name. That's the tikkun. It's not about me, Moshe Rabbeinu. It's about the people. We have to mahazek them. I'll erase my whole uh, 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 legacy for the benefit of the people. And therefore, we have three distinct interpretations on Elecha. Either the simple interpretation, that's an amba, it's not simple. Elecha, check the oil for dregs. Make sure it's him and Zayin. Before the Kohen puts his chotam on it. Or we have the Elecha, like the Meshach Chokmah. As long as the menorah is lit, lehana'atka, you're going to receive prophecy. Not because it's day, but because it's light. And according to the Mekubali, you will bring the Shemen Zayit, Moshe. It's because you're the Tikkun of Noah. And Tanhumah said, go to the Yonah. And you are Noah Shemin Moshe Noah And therefore you see over here a great lesson we learned from this point. Although you know, there's no, no narrative over here, but somehow we figured a way to divert and go to Parachat Noah to get some stories out of it. But the lesson for us is, especially in our time, now's not a time that a person just fixes himself. A person has to share the wealth. It comes to that if you're not a rabbi, you're not a teacher, 
So you bring somebody to the shiur, or you give them a, a sefer. I recently was in, just to give you one example, I'll conclude, I was in Panama. And I stayed by one of the tzaddikim in Panama. Religious man, his children are in Torah studying the finest yeshivas, and this trip, he told me, oh, Eli, I want to show you, I wasn't always religious. I want to show you how I got religious. You're going to show me? I'm not, I don't know, show me. Tell me the story. No, I'm going to show you. I can show it to you. I'd love to see it. Because if you could show it to me, then I'll show it to other people also, make them religious. He takes me to his library, and there's a full set in English, Me'amlo is. He says, this is it. So what, you went out and bought it? He says, no. He says, there's a guy in New York that you know. You're Consuegro. Consuegro David Cass is a big Sadiq. He says, he sent me the Me'amloes. He sent me the set. He said, Moises, read it. I think you'll enjoy it. He says, I read the book. I couldn't put it down. And then he shows me his children. And the rest is history. Because somebody said, I have the goods, no problem. But just because I'm religious, therefore what? Let anybody drown? He went out of his way to try to save the next guy, but he didn't save one guy. He saved generations. For what? For one set of books. Talk about the best investment that a guy ever made in his life. A set of Ma'am lawyers that he said. And everybody has that capability. To mehazek, to bring people, to send people, to influence people, to guide them, to convince them to do the right things about the kids, send them to the yeshivas and so on and so. That's your credit. But to come along and say, listen, I don't, I'm not a Badinsky. I'm going to involve people's lives. Leave it alone. I'm my own business. Right. You're a Zion. Keep all the stuff to yourself. For this parasha, I teach you the sword of the menorah, which is the sword of Torah. Zion, you forget you're learning. But Shem and Zion, you remember. <coughs> That's why. Your Zion is selfish that you forget. If you're only in it for yourself, you're forgotten. But if you're in it for the other one as well, that Shem and Zion, that is a segula for remembering. Yiratzon, we should be zocher to have the behinav Moshe and your side with this week to be like the Shem and Zayitzach.